Hello, welcome to EVN Report. My name is Maria Titizian. Joining me in the studio today is Vladimir de Gumilina. He is the crisis director with Reporters Without Borders. Welcome to the program, Vladimir. Thanks for having me. Obviously, you're here because of the situation in Artsakh, in Nagorno-Karabakh. Um, and just for our listeners, as you know, on September 19, uh, Azerbaijan launched a massive attack on uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, 24 hours later, a ceasefire announcement was made. And uh, starting on September 24, there was a mass exodus of the population. And uh, as of recording, uh, over 100,000 Armenians are now in the Republic of Armenia. Most have obviously left, and only a few state officials and civil servants remain today. And Vladimir is here in Yerevan to assess the needs of the displaced journalists from Garapach. What have you done and seen Vladimir. I've not seen anything, <laughs> uh, but I'm here to see. Since the beginning of the crisis, I'm uh, in close contact with a lot of uh, journalists, uh, freelancers, bloggers, people who are very active on Twitter, but also reporters for independent media like uh, CivilNet. And uh, we were monitoring the situation uh, by phone, WhatsApp, Twitter. And uh, at first we, had a, um, we were asking by a girl who made documentaries uh, in uh, Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, she, I don't remember her name because I have a lot of <laughs> Armenian An names. Angela, Fran Jean, Angela, uh, Angela Fragian, uh, who is uh, was been in uh, in Nagorno-Karabakh for two years to document uh, the blockade. She was very afraid and uh, she wanted to escape. And uh, we tried to find uh, ways to help people to escape. And very soon we saw it was impossible to make it because there is just uh, one corridor, one way. I was in contact with some of my close uh, friends who are reporters and who were uh, in, uh, in the border. I am a former reporter. I'm, I work for Reporter with a Border since several months, but uh, I have good experience uh, in uh, covering conflicts and crisis situations. So I have a lot of friends who are working in this kind of situation who could be very helpful uh, because I have some call to give and I have a good monitoring on the situation. And we have a desk uh, in a Reporter Without Border who monitoring the general situation and the situation of the media, especially. And I was in contact with the Red Cross, and the Red Cross asked very soon that it was impossible for them to uh, target specifically uh, the media, and uh, because they just help uh, wounded and civilian people. And uh, more about that uh, is it was not a very good idea to just make some journalists escape because this documentarist at first she wanted to be escaped and the second day she said no I don't want to be targeted as a journalist. We have to be very low profile. So during the week, we managed the situation. We were in close contact, but we didn't want uh, to make false hope and, uh, and to sure. say to the people, yes, we can. 
No, we can't. And uh, we don't want too much noise because we don't want that the Azerbaijan army uh, knows that um, an organization like Reporter Without Border is on the ground to help journalists because we know that the journalists could be very targeted because of their work, because Azerbaijan said, you are making propaganda. Yeah, this is uh, such an important point that you're making because even uh, during the 2020, the 44-day war we had, several journalists were targeted. And because we do know that the uh, Azerbaijani propaganda machine works uh, very well and they try to control the narrative and control the story and even now after the almost total exile of, of the Armenians of Gharapakh, they are now putting on these shows for reintegration and, and yeah. what have you. But, you know, Vladimir, I have to say, you know, as a journalist myself, the voices of the Armenian journalists in Gharapakh were so important. We needed it like oxygen to our lungs because they were on, you know, it was a complete media blackout. Uh, no foreign journalists were allowed into Gharapakh, especially after the blockade. Nobody could go in. And the blockade, you know, started in December of 2022 and uh, continued up until, you know, last week. Um, but it was, their work was so invaluable and we were following them. And every day that was the first thing I would do is is to see what our friends, the journalists uh, in Gharapakh were reporting. And I think it really highlights the important role that the media plays in bringing these stories to the world. Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I totally agree. But um, the problem is um, that all the journalist voice, voices uh, who are warning that the situation is getting worse and worse uh, is not always uh, heard. Uh, that's a, that's, a, that's that. a problem. Yeah, we were talking earlier, you, you know, since the end of the war, not only here at EVN Report, but many, many Armenian journalists in Armenia were, we were writing about it, we were warning about mm. it, this creeping ethnic cleansing, all the signs were there, all the red flags were there. And it was radio silence on the other end. Mm. And then oftentimes we're told, well, you're Armenian, you're too subjective, you're not bringing the point of view, the both sides. And, 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 you know, I had an experience last week where I was asked uh, on this media, global media network, to talk about what was happening. And they wanted me to talk with a, an Azerbaijani member of parliament. Yeah. And, and, and I said, you want to present both sides. I said, it's like asking the victim to debate their rapist. <laughs> You know, there's a saying, right? It's mm. not your job as a journalist to ask if it's raining outside. It's your job to open the window and mm. look outside and see if mm. it's raining. There are no two sides here. It was clear case of ethnic cleansing. So that frustration that we have mm. uh, was really out <laughs> astounding. And then what do we see? As soon as the exodus began, we see a flood of journalists coming to the country. I mean, as a former journalist yourself, yeah, you that's know. Yeah, it's the same old story uh, <laughs> because... Uh, you have two different categories. You have the local journalist who tries to run, and you you have the the dogs, <laughs> and uh, uh, go from war to another war, from crisis to another crisis, because this is our job to write about breaking news. Yeah, breaking news to tell the stories. But I can give you an example about this specific crisis. I, I have a very close friend, uh, a French journalist. Her name is Marine. Marine de Tilly. She worked for a big newspaper. And uh, she worked a lot with an, an, another journalist, a photographer. I think you know him well. Antoine Agudjian is a photographer. And there are other journalists um, in other media, like Figaro magazine. But 
in le point, she follow the situation in Karabakh for years. And she try to warn the director that it's very important. She's hurt, but not as she wants. And when a big situation like this crisis happens, everybody, every other journalist, myself included, because we have a lot of crises to manage and media crisis is all over the world. And we, we go to see uh, the, the people who know, certain kind of journalists know very well question country, but uh, international media, we, we are running from crisis to another crisis. And as you know, I think I will go uh, to Goris tomorrow morning. I think uh, I won't find a lot of uh, people of journalists of the international press uh, there almost everybody is already living mm -hmm. perhaps uh, i hope not but i'm afraid yes next crisis with azerbaijan we'll see a lot of journalists come coming back, back. Uh, coming back again mm -hmm. but no they they know the field <laughs> No, I mean, we're not that naive. I mean, we do understand that there's a 24-hour news cycle yeah. or maybe a three-hour news cycle, yeah. and there's always one crisis happening, and people are running, like you said, reporters from one crisis to another. And I remember right after the war, I was in Stepanagert, and uh, it was just an awful situation right after the war. And we walked into a hotel that was running on generators. There was no electricity. There was no food left, nowhere to stay. Um, the city was just uh, in a terrible condition, and, and there was a group of foreign journalists sitting in the middle of the room that pulled tables together and they were all busy writing their stories mm -hmm. and you know I looked at them and I thought oh, they're almost like here to bear witness to our tragedy and your first reaction as an Armenian forget being a journalist is like it's almost like voyeurism but then you have you understand that's the job and that's mm -hmm. how it is and we can't expect anything different mm -hmm. than that other than to keep doing our jobs so what is it that you hope to do here Vladimir I mean working with these journalists who are now displaced themselves yeah. right they had to they endured the war they endured the blockade they yeah. had their own families to think about and yet they kept working and now most of them are in Yerevan yeah so uh, we have um, Some ideas, we have a plan, not already a plan, but I'm here to monitor and to do uh, to, to see what we, we could make to help those journalists. So I'm here to monitor the situation of the media, of the journalists. First, we have to make an assess the list of the name of the journalists displaced, who are the people uh, who are in our mandate, because we are very specific uh, point to be in the mandate of Reporter Without Borders. So we have to interview those people. Reporter Without Borders, we, we have a we work with correspondents. We have we have big desk in, in some uh, big town and we have a lot of correspondents. And here in our media we have a correspondent. Uh, we work with a big organization with a FOCA with a uh, Freedom of Information Center of uh, Armenia. That's right. Freedom of Information Center of Armenia. Uh, we work with them. I was uh, with uh, one of the main uh, figure in this organization to uh, to assess the need, to assess the list. And after, when this list uh, is established and the interview made, we can have a clear expectation on what is needed. First, all these displaced uh, journalists, uh, they perhaps uh, need a place to live. Or we can help our partner with our donors, because we have donors, we, we work with state international donors. Or we can 
help them to find a place. How we can help them to work again because all uh, these uh, big media uh, in Armenia, perhaps they don't have the money, the mm -hmm. funds, the place of to absorb all mm -hmm. those journalists. So how we can help them to manage these new journalists, how we can help them to train. Because uh, one of the most important things is you have a lot of young journalists uh, who are working as independent freelancer journalists. They work on Twitter, they have blogs, but they perhaps uh, don't have the knowledge of uh, the modern journalism, a certain kind of uh, fact-checking how to react to certain kind of um, things of social media, hate speech, uh, not to, to fall in this kind of, uh, of thing, make uh, investigation, investigative journalists, uh, data journalists. So yes. basically training them with new uh, tools, perhaps, so yeah. that they can uh, move yeah. on and, yeah. and find positions in the local, here in the Armenian yeah, media yeah, market. Yeah, it's very important uh, to, to, help, uh, to help them to to have this new knowledge and to build their capacity to make it better. I think uh, one thing uh, who is important too is uh, to help to psychological support because I made uh, three interviews today and one uh, yesterday and it's, it's obvious uh, they are quite shocked. I made two video interviews this morning Uh, this afternoon and uh, there was a journalist he didn't want to speak in front of the camera because they they lived under the blockade and it was very hard for them they lived their homeland very difficult for them and they saw some very ugly things and lived very bad and sad situations and i think they they have to rebuild them and I think Armenian, uh, Armenian journalists, the other journalists are there to help them, but perhaps we we need the help of professional to 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 make it no absolutely because we all know that journalists they run toward disaster they don't run away from it yeah uh, and they, you have to witness and uh, i mean war itself is uh, is an ugly human construct but then of course we had the fuel depot explosion that yeah. killed 170 yeah. people and yeah. They were there reporting, and then they, you know, one of them, Siranush Sarkisian, who I was following religiously, mm. did a small video report from the hospital in Stepanagird, you know, begging for yeah. an airlift, begging yeah. for humanitarian yeah. airlift because yeah. people were dying. They didn't have enough. Yeah, yeah you, you 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 saw it on the on the picture. I saw another um, video footage uh, today, and I remember those uh, footage of Sianush and they were very ugly, and the people are crying for for help. I saw for the psychological aspect. You know, in the military now, uh, in the humanitarian sector, you have a lot of conscience. Uh, I don't know the word in English, but now the people know that psychological support mm. is important. They're uh, more aware of the yeah, importance yeah, of they it. Are yeah, more aware. Mental health is absolutely and, very important. Uh, in journalism, it's not the case anymore because we 
always want to be the stronger and to say no, it doesn't, doesn't hurt. it doesn't hurt me, and I go to the next and to the next and to the next. I think it's very important. And another thing, uh, but basics, we want to provide uh, help in material because uh, a media like CivilNet, they uh, they had a studio in Stepanakert, uh, and and they lost uh, uh, they lost everything, camera, uh, yeah. all all kinds of equipment, yeah, all, of course. All kind of equipment so we could we could help uh, for mm -hmm. for that and uh, and i go to goris tomorrow uh, to show the the work of the armenian journalists mm -hmm. who are there and it's it's like a kind of testimony we are making too because we are managing crisis and assess the need but we have to write on and to show to to convince people to help us mm -hmm. Well, Vladimir, thank you for the work that you're doing. And of course, Reporters Without Borders is an incredible organization that does uh, really good work around the world. And thank you for being here. And we look forward to see how our colleagues, uh, journalists from Nagorno-Karabakh, who themselves, as we said, had to endure war, blockade, and this exodus from their homes, leaving everything behind to support them as best we can. Thank you so much. Welcome. Welcome.